Acts chapter number 28. This is the last chapter of the book of Acts. However, it will not be the last message in Acts. Uh, this will be the second to the last message we do in Acts. Uh, even though it is the last chapter, Paul's story does continue. Um, we're going to look at some other epistles to uh, preach next week on the ending, the true ending of this chapter. But Acts 28 is uh, an interesting chapter. It's got a lot of different things going on. But tonight we're just going to read one verse. So when you find Acts 28, stand with me. We're going to read verse 1. Stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word once you find it. If you haven't found it, stand up. Look to the person next to you. Chapter number 28, verse number 1. The Bible says, And when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. Said, so tonight I want to preach on this thought. Stranded. Stranded. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for the life and ministry of Paul. Thank you for the life and ministry that you have for each and every one of us. Thank you for gifting each and every one of us with our own spiritual gifts, with our own talents, so that we all can be used for your ministry here at Anchor of Hope. God, I pray as I preach tonight, God, get me out of your way, fill me with your spirit, and get the message that you have for each and every one of your children into their hearts tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week, if you remember, we left Paul in the middle of a what? Who remembers? We left Paul in the, right in the middle on a boat in the middle of what? A storm. A storm. He was in the eye of a hurricane or a typhoon, as it would have been called, there in that hemisphere. And uh, he, was, he was believing God. Remember last week we preached on the thought, I believe God. We had Paul on the ship there with those men, and they believed the captains, and they believed the centurion, they believed the financier of the voyage. They believed all those people that told them it'd be perfectly fine for them to sail out across that sea, but they found themselves in the storm, and uh, when all hope seemed lost, they turned to Paul, and Paul said, I believe in God. And that's where we left Paul, was right there in the middle of that storm. They were being tossed to and fro, and tonight, as introductory, we're going to look at the last part of chapter 27, so you can, always, you can go ahead and flip back a page if you'd like. Um, but we left Paul there in the middle of that storm, and we know that 276 people, that number uh, is given to us in verse 37, 276 people were being tossed to and fro in that boat right there in the middle of that storm uh, until all of a the sudden they thought all hope was lost, but then all of a sudden they see hope right there. We just read in verse number one that uh, in verse number one it says, And when they were escaped, they knew the island was called Melita. Right there in the middle of that storm, they, they start to see and they start to open their eyes and the, the waves start to clear, the wind starts to subside, and they see an island. They see a place, uh, what we now call Malta, the island of Malta. It was referred to as Melita here is what they called it, but now in modern day, it's the island called Malta. And I want you to understand geographically, we've been doing some pretty my level geographic geography lessons in the past couple of weeks uh, where I refer to the Mediterranean Sea as a big football uh, and they started over here on the bottom side of the football and they worked their way up the coast and then they launched out across the middle of the football middle of the sea and they were headed towards Italy which looks like a what a boot all right we could all figure that out when we were in high school and middle school Italy's the one that looked like a boot but now they found themselves on an island, if you're looking at the boot, if you can picture a map in your head, right off the big toe of the boot, you come down 500 miles into the ocean and you'll see a little speck, all right? You'll see a little speck on a big map, and that little speck is called Malta. Again, it was 500 miles south from the coasts of Italy, all right? And it was thousands of miles north of the coast of Africa down below it. So I want you to get in your mind what's happened here. They were completely at the mercy of that storm, weren't they? They were completely, could not decide which way they were going to go, could not decide which way they were going to sail. They were simply, completely and totally at the mercy of that storm where we left them. 
They were spinning to and fro. They could not see sun, moon, stars, nor uh, any kind of light. It was darkness. It was chaos. And here they are, as they were sailing across, they had 500 miles of open sea north of the island, and they had thousands of miles of open sea south of the island. Yet here, in God's perfect providential power, they have landed on the one speck, the one dot that could give them safety. So I want us to understand how significant just the fact that they found that island was. God had already been on their side. God had already led them to this island. Nevertheless, Paul and his cohorts were stranded on this island, and they had no plan of escape. They had no uh, idea what was going to happen next, and their position had definitely improved, but what would happen next was definitely unknown to them. It would not, they would not have had, once they saw this island, they wouldn't have known how close they were. All they know is they're stranded on this island in literally the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the sea. And we're going to look back at Acts 27, and the first verse we're going to look at for, by introduction is verse 39. Verse 39, first thing I want you to see is a sigh of relief. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but discovered a certain creek with, shore, uh, with a shore into which they were minded, if it were possible, to thrust the ship. So here they were at, at the end of the storm as things started to succeed, and they hear those two words that a sailor would have been longing to hear in this situation, land Oh, they would have, somebody would have seen that island, somebody would have seen that land, and for the first time in the past couple of days, they would have had some hope. They would have had some, uh, some sincere hope that they were going to be saved, and this sigh of relief would have come when they saw that land, and they saw a place where they thought they could get the ship, but uh, not only was it a sigh of relief, but it would take a surgical rescue. If you look in verse number 40, when they had taken up the anchors... They committed themselves unto the sea and loosed the rudder and bands and hoised up the mainsail to the wind and made toward the shore. Understand this, that there was no going back. Once they started into these shallow waters, once they started giving their boat up to the, up to the currents and up to the winds, that this strategy that they had of getting to that land, that once they committed and turned all that stuff loose, that they were, it was a one-way trip. It was a one-way ticket. Keep in mind, they had dumped all their grain, all their food supply, all the things into the water. There was no hope for them left in that vessel. They had to make a one-way trip, a last-ditch effort, to that island. In verse 43, uh, excuse me, verse 41 says, And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. So we do hear what's called beaching the boat. Today, if you wanted to go uh, to Chester Frost Park on a pontoon boat, you can find some of these different areas that there's sand and there's pea gravel and you can take your boat and just very gently beach it right there up on the sand. Uh, and it doesn't harm the boat because we have a lake, we have calm waters. But here they literally ran that big ship until it could not run anymore and they ran it aground and that front part of the boat <coughs> stuck there where it was. There was no way, uh, even with all the men they had, that they could have pushed it back there other direction. That's not what they were desiring. They were desiring to get to shore. And it says that the waves wrecked and ripped apart the back of the boat. Since it's no longer moving, you have these waves crashing into the back of it. I just want you to get how stranded they were. Their boat was torn apart here. Uh, and now it's decision time. They've got to get from the boat the rest of the way to shore, all right? The boat had ran aground, but uh, it was still very deep because we know that they're going to have to swim here in a minute. But before it became time to leave the boat, I want you to not just notice the surgical rescue that took place, but a soldier's remembrance or a soldier's reminder. Look at verse 42. The soldiers and the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners. That's Paul, right? That's Paul, Luke, who's writing this, all the prisoners that were with them, lest any of them that should swim out and escape. All right. It made sense. 
to kill these prisoners. I want you to understand something, that if any one of those prisoners were to escape, the Roman punishment for those soldiers would to be to share the same fate that those prisoners had. And the majority of those prisoners were going to Rome to be killed, to be uh, executed. So those soldiers knew that if they all said, all right, everybody out, everybody start swimming, everybody make way for this island. And some of those soldiers, or some of those prisoners, excuse me, were able to escape and uh, able to hide and make, you know, make other arrangements, then those soldiers could have been killed. Not only that, as they're looking at this island, they don't know how much food's going to be there. They don't know how, much, how many things that are going to be able to keep them safe. They don't know how available shelter's going to be. They don't know how available safety's going to be. And the last thing they need is all these prisoners to take care of and to, and to keep after. So it made perfect sense for these soldiers to gather together and say, okay, we're going to execute all the prisoners. The Romans in Rome will understand. They'll under, it'll make a logical decision. We have no choice. We're going to execute these guys. But Paul's mission was not done, was it? Paul's ministry was not done. So look what happens in verse 43. But the centurion, willing to save Paul. Look at that. This is the very centurion that before they left, before they got in the boat, didn't want to listen to Paul, didn't want to believe Paul, didn't want to hear what Paul had to say. But rather, remember, he was convinced of, he believed the words of the captain and the words of the owner of the ship over that which is Paul. But now when it comes time to kill these prisoners, he remembers the man of God that stood in the middle of that storm and said, fellas, I know it looks bleak. I know the outcome doesn't look good, but I believe God. He's given your lives and he's given my lives and he's going to save us. If we stay with the boat, if we stay together, if we hunker down and endure the storm, we're going to survive. Now it's coming around where the centurions that got the decision once again, and he remembers that man of God. He remembers his faithfulness. He remembers that if it wasn't for that man of God, somebody right there in the middle of that storm believe in God that they probably wouldn't be alive anyway. So the centurion makes the decision not to kill Paul. Why? Because he remembered something. He remembered that this preacher knew who God was. And that as they were going to go to this island, as they were going to take the next steps of being stranded, that while there may not be enough food, there may not be enough shelter, they may not have a plan, he wanted to make sure that that preacher was with them. Why? Because that preacher knew who God was. And the centurion was starting to come around here. Lastly, <coughs> introductory safe reunions. Look at verse 43. But the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves into the sea and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. They made it. They made it to land. They made it to Malta. But if you read it too fast, you might have missed something. Now, this is how my brain works. I always tell people I'm a 12-year-old trapped in an almost 27-year-old's body. Okay, I have a very juvenile mindset. That's why I make a good youth pastor. All right, I am a little kid that my wife has to take care of, and, I, and trust me, she has a hard enough job already. All right, but <clears throat> when they wrote, when Luke wrote this verse, he included something that just baffled my mind. Okay, let's go back and read it at the end of verse 43, and commanded that they which could swim cast themselves first into the sea. Now, wait a second. These are sailors. These are people that made their living as merchants sailing across the deep blue seas. And he says, the men that know how to swim go first. And I thought, why in the world? Now, I understand the prisoners had no choice to be there. So I understand some of the prisoners may not have been able to swim. But there's 276 people on this boat. And Paul had to make the distinction. If you know how to swim, you go first. How is anybody in their right mind going to be a merchant, a sea merchant, and sail across the deep blue sea, and they don't even know how to swim? 
I find a very hard time getting people that don't know how to swim to get in a boat. Why? Because there's a risk involved. There's a risk that they might go overboard and they wouldn't be able to survive. Don't miss the deeper meaning here. And this may not be anything, but I think it's something that there are people in this world that are around you and me that are more than willing to get in the boat. They're more than willing to join the team. They're more than willing to dive in and join a church or join a ministry or join a song group or join whatever you would fill in the blank there. And they're willing to jump in the boat and they're willing to sail and they're willing to go. But when times get rough, they have no idea how to manage themselves in the water. They don't know how to swim. They don't know how to swim. What's this look like, preacher? This looks like, hey, brother, I want to go. I want to help. I want to do. And you say, all right, well, will you go knock on doors? Well, I don't really know how to do that. Well, just tell them how you got saved. Give them your testimony. Well, I don't really know how to talk. I, I'll pray about it. Well, did the Lord save you? Yes, sir. Did he, did he, do you remember the place and the time? Yes, sir. Did, did, did He make a change in your heart? Yes, sir. All right, come with us. Well, I don't really know how to swim. That's what's taking place here. All these men, these big bad sailors, argh, you name it, they're all on there. And Paul had to say, if you know how to swim, go ahead. Can you imagine all the guys that say, I gotta go find me a board to paddle with? I gotta go find me some shipwreckage to make it. This ain't the message, but there is a message here. Don't get in the boat unless you're willing to swim. Don't sell out unless you're willing to one fin in front of the other. Because everybody don't start out as a Michael Phelps, a big Olympic swimmer that can swim laps back and forth and go fast and do this and do that. But as I've taught my kids in the days, Recently, this past summer, you got to start out doggy paddling, don't you? You got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. You could, you could have been, had the negative effect of learning how to swim how I learned how to swim. I was eight years old, and I put on my little floats on my arms, and my grandma said, what, what in the world are you putting those on for? We're at Lake uh, Watts Bar up in Spring City, and we're on her, one of her friend's docks, and she said, what are you putting on that? I said, I don't know how to swim. She said, you don't know how to swim? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, come here, let me see those. So she takes them off my arms, and she's like... Yeah, you definitely don't need these. And she picked me up by my swimming trunks and threw me in the lake. Of course, my mom and my dad, they come out of their chairs having a coordinator. They come running over there. And you know what I did? That's who I am. That's who I am. And that's how I learned. I'm not saying that's for everybody. Don't try that at home. But sometimes God will just... And if we just try, if we just put one fin in front of the other... A lot of us be real surprised how good we could swim. But many of us would sit there and drown looking up at him going, you shouldn't have done this. Those who know how to swim, you go first. Can you imagine Paul going, what do you mean they don't know how to swim? They're in a boat. All right, I'm rambling. We'll get off that. Nevertheless, they find themselves on this island, stranded, all alone, have no idea what's next have no idea if they're going to make, ever make it off this island, have no idea re even really where they're at. They've got so disoriented from the storm. They don't know where they're at. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going to come next. They don't know if they're going to be okay. How many of you, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you've been saved 100 years or you've been saved one year, you know what it's like. You know what it feels like to be stranded. You know what it's like to think you're on an island, to think you're in the middle of nowhere, and that you have no plan of escape. You have no thing that your mind can wrap around to come together to get off this island. I would venture to guess in a crowd this size, there could be somebody that feels a little bit stranded tonight, right now. There could be somebody that knows that there's a trial coming up ahead of you that is going to feel like you're going to be doing it all alone. 
Again, I want us to look at the life and testimony of Paul and see the things that he did that even though he was stranded, even though he was a prisoner, even though he barely got the right to swim to shore, they were going to kill him right there on the boat. But even though he had the bleakest of circumstances, even though he was completely and totally alone, all those men were, there's a way to become unstranded. And it's some things that we can take away tonight. Number one, if you're stranded and you're going to make it, number one, you're going to need a contributing mentality. Look at verse number three. Back over in chapter 28. Verse number three. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. No doubt Paul's the prisoner here. Paul could have had the attitude of somebody's going to make a fire, but that ain't my job. Somebody's going to have to... We're freezing. We just swam to shore. We're cold, but one of them shipmates that's getting paid right now, one of them ought to make a fire. But no, Paul contributed, even as a prisoner, even as the least of these, even as somebody that that captain, that centurion, the master, the owner of the ship, they wouldn't have taken a second thought with snuffing Paul out on the boat if the centurion hadn't stood. He was as good as dead to them. They cared nothing for them. Yet here he is contributing. Yet here he is gathering firewood. Yet here he is seeing the need around him, the immediate need, contributing despite the rain. Look back up in verse number 2. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness, for they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain. He contributed even though it was raining. He went out to get firewood even though it was raining. Even though somebody would have said, there's no point. There's no point. It, the wood's going to be wet anyway. If I go out there and try to gather firewood, I didn't know we was going to have a bonfire when I was preparing this message. I didn't know it was going to rain all day before our bonfire when I was preparing this message. But even though it, had, it was raining on their little lives, it was raining on their desperate situation, it was raining on them in the middle of that desert island, he's still going to get firewood. Despite the rain, despite the circumstances that were coming upon him. Now, you and I, when we get stranded, when we feel like we're all alone, it don't take the one more and it's the straw that broke the camel's back. We get caught at one red light. They make our coffee the wrong way. They, uh, we, scuff our, we stub our toe on a Lego in the living room and that's it. That's it. We'll stop contributing. We'll start gathering firewood. We'll stop doing anything for the Lord for any reason, for any excuse because of the rain. But he was contributing not only despite of the rain, but he was contributing despite of the cold. The circumstances soon lead the consequences. What are you talking about? That red light may cause you to be late for work. That rain caused them to be cold. Stubbing your toe might have to, may end up turning into a medical bill that you've got to go get a splint put on your foot. Those, those circumstances, they eventually lead to consequences. And they don't go away just because you're stranded. They don't go away just because you found yourself in a predicament that you've never saw coming. They don't, the problems don't stop just because you're going through a hard time. But notice, despite that, Paul still is looking around. He sees the rain. He sees the consequences of the rain. Everybody's freezing. He makes the decision to contribute. He makes the decision to go get firewood. Right here at Anchor of Hope, we've got some rain going on. We've got this thing, I don't know if you've heard of it, calling a pandemic. And that's the rain. And the consequences of that rain is fear. And panic and politicizing and all these things, all these consequences because of this pandemic. And sometimes it can feel we're the only church trying. We're the only church doing or we're not doing enough or we're doing too much or whatever this or whatever that. But in the middle of it, are you contributing? Are you helping us walk in the right direction? Or are you just sitting there? That's not my job. 
Somebody else has got to do it. We would have fire if somebody would go get firewood. Wish somebody would hurry up. I'm cold. You name it. Paul had a contributing mentality despite the rain, despite the cold, but lastly, despite the danger. Look at what ends up happening. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Despite the danger. Did Paul know right there in that very moment that a snake was going to come out and bite his hand? No. But did Paul know that there were snakes on this island? Did Paul know that there was danger in going to get firewood? Did Paul know that there was danger in serving the Lord? Did Paul know that even though you sell out for God, even though you're contributing, even though you're doing the best, Paul knew that there were snakes out there, didn't he? But he did it anyway. I would serve God, but there's just some hypocrites out there. I would go to church, but there's just some mean old snakes out there, and I don't want to get bit by them. Paul knew those snakes were there. But he contributed despite the fact that snakes exist. You know what I'm talking about. I'm co- why don't you come to church? Why, oh, there's probably a dozen hypocrites. Well, yeah, amen. But I'd rather go to church with a dozen hypocrites than to go to hell with all of them. I'd rather come to Anchor of Hope Baptist Church and hang out with one hi- hypocrite than go to hell and hang out with all of them. And surely there's not one here. I, I'm not saying that. But it's true. A lot of us don't contribute because we're afraid of those snakes. Can I tell you something? God's bigger than those snakes. Look what happens next. Not only a contributing mentality, but a concentrated motivation. Look what happens. Came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves. Here it is. Ow! Snakes hanging on his hand. And it hung there long enough for the, the barbarian, the people there helping, saw it. So Paul didn't immediately. So in my mind, and again, it's the mind of a 12-year-old. Y'all bear with me. Ow! Hmm. That snake's dangling, hissing, fighting, pumping venom into his hand. Interesting. It doesn't say Paul ran. It doesn't say Paul freaked out. Paul says, I've been shot! I've been bit! Woe is me. No. What happens next? What happens next? He was concentrated. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet the vengeance set not to live. The vengeance suffereth not to live. You know what Paul was doing here? Paul was not distracted by the pain. A viper was hanging off of his hand. And there's no record of Dr. Luke Mr. Medical Professional saying Paul passed out, Paul screamed, Paul hollered, Paul ran. Paul, it's simply Luke says, okay, Paul's good. And Luke shifts the focus over on these barbarians. He was concentrated and motivated despite the pain, but also he was not distracted by the pointing. You know what happened when Paul got snake bit? All those people said, ooh, he bad. These are barbarians. He must have been a murderer. Well, that don't happen today, does it? We start going through trials in our life and nobody looks at us and goes, oh, they must have been doing something bad. God's getting them. No, maybe they're just sold out and serving God and contributing and have a, a concentrated motivation and they got snake bit. Ooh, that doesn't happen, does it? Ask Job what his wife said. 
Ask Job what his best friend said. If I was preaching to teens, ask Job what his BFF said. They call each other BFFs for life. And ask, ask Job when he was concentrated on serving the Lord and he was smitten of the devil and he was trying to make quit. Job didn't have this great support system that we have. Job had people wagging that finger. Oh, they must have been bad. He was not distracted by the pointing of the fingers and he was not distracted by the praise. Look how, peop- look how easy this is. The easy this happens. Look at this. In verse 5, And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Now watch what happens. Howbeit, they looked, they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come upon him, you know what he's probably doing? He's still probably throwing sticks into the fire. He's still contributing. They saw no harm come to him. What happened? They changed their minds and said that he was a God, little g. So it went from, oh, he bad, to, oh, he God. Think about this. Think about this. Paul's contributing. Paul's concentrated. And dial in here. He didn't just get distracted by the finger pointing. He let that go. But he also didn't get distracted by the praise. He let that go. He could have stopped and said, ha ha, see now I have survived the snake bite. Bow down and worship me. Ha ha, I have surrendered to do this at Anchor of Hope Baptist Church. Everyone should praise me. No, no. I hold this position. I hold this stature. Nope. Paul shook off the beast out of his hand. He kept putting sticks on the fire. He kept doing what he knew he was supposed to be doing. He didn't get distracted by the finger pointing, but he also didn't get distracted by the praise of those barbarians. And we know through Paul's testimony that this wasn't the first time people tried to worship him. And this wasn't going to be the last. People are still trying to worship him today. There's people that hold him to this esteem level and and bless God, he was a great man. Bless God, he was Jesus of God. But you know what? Paul was just like you. He was just like me. He was flesh and blood. He was just somebody trying to tell everybody all about somebody that knew and saved his soul. He's just like you and me. Bless God. He had a contributing mentality. He had a concentrated motivation, but a compassionate mission. Look at verse number 8. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick. This is one of the people that lived there on an island. Of a fever and a bloody flux. All right? A bloody flux, if you look that up, is dysentery. All right? This man had dysentery. He was on a very quick journey to dehydration and death. To whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Paul's purpose was still to minister to people. But he was stranded. But he was all alone. But he was all by, he, he, he got shipwrecked. He was completely alone. They, didn't want, they wanted to kill him. He had every circumstance. He had every reason to say, I'm it. I quit. I'm done. But here he is ministering to people. It don't matter if you're stranded or not. Your purpose is still to minister and to witness to people. He still was called to minister to people. But Paul's plans were still to be a part of God's plans. Paul knew he didn't heal that man, but Paul knew a man who did. Paul knew that even though his plans had just gone this way and that way and he'd found himself on this, he would still be willing to be part of God's plans. 
he would still be willing to be used. For him to pray and for him to lay his hands on that man, he still had to have faith that God was going to heal him. That God was going to use Paul to heal him. You know how much faith that is? Stranded in the middle of nowhere. Dunn tried to build a fire and got snake bit. Dunn got pointed at and called a murderer. Then got pointed at and they're trying to worship you. And to still have enough faith about you in these people and in God to say, God heal them. God heal them. I'm here, stranded for a reason. Do you ever think about that? That you may be stranded for a reason? That you may have found yourself at a job you never knew you were going to be at, never would have guessed in a million years, but you're stranded there for a reason? You're a light there for a reason? Have you ever stopped to think that the circumstances that look bleak, the, 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 the different things that have happened to you in your life up to this point and have left you stranded, left you all alone, have you ever stopped to think that you were there for a reason? There'd be a man named Publius's father that would be dead if Paul wasn't there on that island. And many others. Look here. His purpose was still to minister to people. His plans were still to be a part of God's plans, but his predicament did not hinder his ability to be used by God. In fact, it magnified it. So when this was done, in verse number 9, others also, which had disease on the island, came and were healed. This was Paul being of a, constant, a contributing mentality, a concentrated motivation, a compassionate mission. For those of you who are used to my preaching and you're already closing your Bibles, we got point four tonight. A complete manifestation. Look at verse number 10. Who also honored us with many honors. And when we were departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. And in verse number 11, and after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux. Honor. Says in verse number 10, who also honored us. You know, when they were honoring Paul and Luke and some of those that had joined up to Paul there, who were they really honoring? Jesus, God. The same God we're worshiping here tonight. Who was really getting the glory? Who would continue to get the glory 2,020 years later in Rossville, Georgia, when a preacher stood up and took those words that Luke wrote and preached about them and used them to help you and used them to remind you that even though you're stranded, even though you feel like you're all alone, even though the circumstances and the wind and the rain and the cold are pouring down on you, that there is still honor to be gained for the glory of God? God was still honored, even though Paul was stranded. Honor was earned and how many of us find ourselves in those situations? We find ourselves stranded. And because of us, because of people like me and people like you, when we find ourselves in those situations, we don't honor God, we dishonor Him with our behavior. And we bring dishonor to the Christian testimony of our lives. Because I guarantee you this, when you find yourself stranded, there's about a dozen lost people at minimum looking at you, seeing how you're going to react. Do you, does your reaction bring honor and glory to God? Or do they just look at you and go, oh, he's just, she's just another one of them. Another one of them hypocrites. Another one of them snakes. Honor was earned by Paul. Help was encouraged. Though stranded, God was now helping his men through the very situation that doomed them. Look again at verse number 10. Honored us with many honors, and when we departed, they laded us such things as were necessary. So now... What happened to all their stuff? 
What happened to all their equipment? What happened to all their food? What happened to all the things? Just to survive that storm, they had to cast them back there in the ocean, didn't they? Just so the ship would stay afloat. They had to throw their next week's salary. They had to throw their, their wheat that they were going to sell. They had to throw their clothes. They had to throw their belongings. They had to throw anything and everything overboard just to survive the storm. And in that moment, they probably didn't want to give up some things. In that moment, they probably didn't want to forgo those things. But they knew if they were going to survive, they had to get rid of them. They had to let go of them. But here we are on this island of Malta, 500 miles south of Italy, 1,000 miles north of Africa, and here they are being given everything that they're going to need to make the rest of the journey. The very circumstances that they would have easily said were going to doom them, we're now equipping them. We're now blessings in their life. We're now equipment, supplies, and utilities given to them by God. Gave us everything we needed, Paul Luke said as he wrote. Gave us everything we needed. Help was encouraged, but a heading was established. Look at verse number 11. And after three months, we departed in a ship. Now, wait a second. What happened to their boat? It got ripped apart, didn't it? But here in verse 11, we find out after three months, they're in another boat. And this boat, I want you to understand, first of all, it's a bigger boat. How do you know it's a bigger boat? Well, theirs had 276 people on it. This boat is able to hold their 276 plus the however many hundred were already on it. So it had to be a bigger boat than they were already on. Why? Because when you got on a boat to go to Rome, you put as many people on that boat as you could because everybody wanted to go to Rome. So this boat held their 276 plus the ones that were already on it. So not only did God provide another boat, but he provided a bigger boat, a nicer boat, a safer boat, something that they never saw coming. Here they are. They got a bigger boat. They got a better boat. They got a heading once again. Their ship was leaving from Alexandria and working its way to Rome. Now they have another ship going from Alexandria and working, away, <coughs> working its way to Rome. And what I want you to take away from this point is this. This complete manifestation of God's will for Paul when he was stranded was to simply show him that Paul, Bryce, Miss Lisa, Miss Shirley, Brother Mike, Brother Mike or Brother Mike, I have plenty of boats. I have plenty of ships. I have plenty of provisions, but I only have one you. That's why you're stranded. That's why you're in those circumstances you're in. It's because God only has one you. God only has one Frank Fajaran. God only has one Jim Bob Nation. Praise God, he's only got one Gary Reeves. <laughs> Hope he heard me out there. As Miss Joy comes, it's okay to laugh in the house of God. But ponder on the fact, in your life, in your relationship with God... God only has one you. God only has one Michael and Renee Lewis. God only has one Eli Walker. God only has one Kenneth Brogan. God only has one Alex Radelsky. God only has one you. And when you're stranded, and when you feel like you is all you got, know that that is enough for God. How? If you have a contributing mentality, if she plays heads bowed, eyes closed, you have a contributing mentality. When you're stranded, when you feel like you're all alone, when you feel like there's no hope, you make the decision. I'm going to contribute. I'm going to do something, even if it's just go get a bundle of sticks for the fire. Even if it's just committing to pray for the preacher. Pray for the service. Pray for the deacons. Pray for the leadership. I'm going to do something. I have a contributing mentality. And you're going to have a concentrated motivation. I'm not going to get distracted 
by the dangers, by the circumstances. I'm not going to get distracted by the snakes and the hypocrites. I'm not going to get distracted by man's praise. I'm not going to look for respect of persons because God is not no respecter of persons. I'm going to stay concentrated and motivated to serve God. And I'm going to be compassionate. I'm going to show Him grace. Those people that don't know how to make their mind up, those people that don't know Jesus, I'm going to show them grace. I'm going to show them love and compassion. And lastly, I'm going to be focused on that complete manifestation of my testimony so that those looking at me when I'm stranded, those looking at me will know who I believe in and will know the God I serve. Tonight, as every head's bowed, every eye's closed, I mean, say, preacher, pray for me, I'm stranded. Preacher, pray for me, I'm stranded. I want to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass you. Preacher, pray for me. I'm stranded. I know God. I know Jesus. But I just don't know how I ended up where I am. Pray for me. I'm stranded. You don't have to raise your hand. God sees your heart. God sees your heart. As I pray, you pray. You ask God to just use you in this time. Bless you in this time. Maybe you know somebody that's stranded. You know somebody that's questioning God's will. Why don't you come lay their name down at an altar and pray for them? You don't pray for him, who will? You don't pray for him, who will? As I pray, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the life and ministry of Paul. God, as he found himself stranded, as he found himself all alone, God, help us to have those things which Paul had, that total faith and that total commitment, that total concentration on serving you. God, in these days where churches all over feel stranded, where local New Testament churches that are just believing God feel all alone, God, help them to understand that we're not alone. We have you, and that's all we need. And God, that you got plenty of boats, but you only have one of us. God, I pray that you fill each and every one of your children tonight, fill each and every one of my brothers and sisters. God, give them grace, give them peace, give them love and mercy. Bring us back at our next appointed time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Dan's not here. Brother Dan's not here tonight. Uh, pray for his uh, procedure tomorrow, but also uh, church, appreciate him. Um, he's come in an hour of need. He's helped me tremendously. And I was telling Brother Frank tonight, I learned more in five hours with that man than I've learned in five, six years of ministry. And I sincerely appreciate what a blessing he's been to me. So this month in October, church, honor him. Just let him know you love him. All right, let's be dismissed. See you Wednesday night at 645.